The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. I'm Clay Link alongside lead prospect writer James Anderson. Shout out to New Day, N E U D A E, at New Day Music on Twitter. Appreciate the song Lion Kings that we're using as our intro for this season. James, we're on to the NL West in our divisional previews, your divisional previews, uh, looking at prospects. 87 prospects you need to know in the NL West. I wanted to just say quickly, 
you know, a little cross promotion, cross platform promotion. Uh, Jim Callis going to be coming on the Saturday show. Nice, yeah, nice work. Super excited to have Jim Callis of MLB dot com come on the Saturday XM show. That's uh, what is that one to three Eastern, Eastern yep. on the Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Channel. And we'll talk with Jim about MLB.com's top 100 prospect rankings that came out last week, or were they earlier this week? I think uh, it was last, last week, last I was week. watching the show. Uh, they had that MLB MLB Network show. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jim's Jim's probably the really kind of the OG of um, the, the prospect writing industry right now. You know, a lot of the guys from this industry have kind of graduated to – roles in MLB front offices Jim's kind of the the last guy sort of standing I guess and he's as tenured as anyone on this so really respect his opinion a lot on, on a lot of these guys yeah absolutely nice guy too we've yeah. met him a couple times in Arizona at the fall league gives a speech down there at first pitch you know kind of going over the skills and the, the prospects there in Arizona for the fall league every year and I uh, love to get his opinion on guys so that'll be fun uh, interesting top 100 that those guys have put out. I want to definitely pick his brain. But let's get started in the NL West. Again, 87 prospects you need to know. Only four coming from Arizona. You said let's just skip skip them over. We don't really need to mention them because they only have one guy inside the top 250, and he's barely inside the top 250. They, it's the worst system in baseball. Yeah. They're the only team – yeah, they're the only team that – doesn't have a prospect in the top 200 so you're mike hayes and you're coming over from boston you're taking over this job what are you doing if you're if you're him james you trading grinky trading all these guys you know while they're while they have a really bad farm system they have a pretty nice young core and i'm gonna just see what this team does with all the with all my pitchers healthy this year and just kind of see what like what is the ceiling of that rotation? Because you have a guy like Tywan Walker, you have Shelby Miller, you have uh, Archie Bradley, Braden Shipley. You just don't really know what you have in some of these guys. Uh, Robbie Ray, even uh, with all those strikeouts and the failing to prevent runs at a clip you'd expect. So I'd run it run it back this year. I mean, you have you have some nice young position players too. If you get to a point after this year, even after the following season, where you just don't think you have enough, then then you can start to rebuild. But they have just they have a young core right now, so a full rebuild I think uh, might not be quite necessary. Yeah, maybe not. I do think I'd probably look to trade Granky just to get out from that yeah, deal. But if someone wants to do, yeah. I think like they should be in the same position with Granky as the Brewers are in with a guy like Ryan Braun, where obviously you're you're happy to move him if the price is right, but you're not just gonna give him away, away and, yeah. and not get anything back. We'll move on to the Rockies then. This is an interesting system headed by Brendan Rogers, shortstop. We have him 12th overall in your top 400. Go slash pod to check out James's full piece. We're not going to be able to touch on all 87 players, but Brendan Rogers, certainly an intriguing player. And, you know, maybe, you know, I think you have him, what, one spot behind Dansby Swanson on the overall top 400? I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, and of course, Brendan Rogers, when he gets up to the major league level, is going to have a hitter's haven for a home park but what what keeps him behind Dansby Swanson is it just the floor uh the the proximity is a huge factor he's probably two years away maybe even more than that he almost (laughs) like a, a good good chunk of his production last year came at home in Asheville which is a really nice place to hit 
like to see what he would do in a more neutral environment over a full season. He's not going to have that anytime soon because he's going to Lancaster this year, which used to be in the uh, Astros. It used to be an Astros affiliate and, and was one of the top two or three places to hit in all the, all the minors. So if you have Brennan Rogers, he's going to mash this year. I mean, his, his stock's really only going to go up. We're not going to really learn anything about him this year, at least while he's at Lancaster. But I have some concerns about those those home road splits last year. And then he, you know, he's he's he might move to second base, which isn't a huge deal because shortstop's deeper than it used to be. But it is a factor. I mean, it, it you, you would rather him stick at shortstop. He he started playing second base a little bit last year, and you almost never see that with guys that end up staying at shortstop long term. Right, Mel Tapia is a guy who's been hanging around prospect list for a while did pr- graduate and uh, not graduate but did debut at the major league level last season still prospect eligible and likely headed back to triple a they have you know uh, a slew of outfielders right now and a trade would probably open up a spot for desmond and then they you know they brought back mark reynolds they could step in at first base so it's it tapia doesn't seem to have a clear path to 2017 value but do you still like him quite a bit long term as long as he's in the rocky system i think you got to got to still like him he has excellent bat to ball ability you know that's always sort of been his top trait is that he just really knows how to to square up the ball and and hit for a high average even with a sort of unconventional setup and with a slight frame I think he is going to offer some some sneaky you know 10 15 homer pop eventually against big league pitching the one thing that really kind of sucks about Tapia is he's always posted subpar success rates as a base stealer, even though he has good speed. So it's possible they just look at that and eventually stop giving him the green light, which which at that point he, he doesn't become all that appealing for fantasy because then you're looking at maybe a, a one-category player, especially if he's not hitting near the top of the lineup. So I, I love uh, – I love the hit tool. I love the what it could do in a place like Coors Field. I mean, if he could play there every day, I think that he could he could post some batting averages at, at 300 or better. But it's it's really unclear what's going to accompany that batting average. Riley Pint, number three in the system. He was the fourth overall pick in June's first year player draft. And you look at this guy. You know, six foot four, uh, ton. You can see a ton of projection, but it's not all projection. You know, he's. So he throws high 90s. The, the slider is a wipeout pitch. You said that could give him two plus-plus pitches along with the fastball in time. What are the, the issues that he's going to need to iron out in the coming seasons to really uh, meet expectations as that fourth overall pick? It's – I mean, the, the reason why he's outside the top 100 and not like 40, 50 spots higher is largely just that he's – gonna play in Colorado for half his games like the, the Rockies just aren't going to be trading any of their high-end power arms anytime soon so you have to accept the fact that he's probably going to play half his games in Coors which obviously sucks like a guy like John Gray if you remove him from Coors I think he'd be maybe a top 20 starter in baseball but in Coors he's just not quite that and then the other concern with Pint is you know a lot of people think his arm might just fall off because of how hard he throws uh, so that, I mean, he, he's a higher risk for 
having arm issues than than most pitchers his age. Yeah, you know, numbers from his professional debut not not good by any means, but I will say, one point six four ground out to air out ratio does you know he's able to keep the ball on the ground a fair amount and that could help him as he uh works his way to Colorado. Tom Murphy's a guy I've been seeing you have him one nineteen overall the top four hundred fourth in the system. Been seeing some people suggest he might be a bit of fool's gold for twenty seventeen. Uh catcher is a tough position. You gotta get a little creative, but I know you had him a lot last year and were waiting or did you sour on Murphy last season? I I guess I soured on the fact that I, I don't think the Rockies view him as a, a long term full time or starting catcher. You know, I think that if, if they viewed him that way, he would have been up sooner last year. You also have to uh, look at who's ahead of him. Tony Walters, obviously not a great hitter, but he absolutely can't hit lefties, and he's one of the best pitch framers in baseball. So I have a feeling he's going to play an awful lot when a right-hander's on the mound because that's – I mean, he can – he's not going to hit righties that much either, but he's not going to be a complete zero against them, and they're going to want to get him behind the plate defensively. Murphy also, you know, huge strikeout rate. That's a concern. I think you just like he's obviously got some use this year in two catcher leagues because of that power and because of the position. But you can, you got to be realistic about it. You can't get too aggressive. I know a lot of people are getting. You know, I've seen people reach for this guy in like the fourteenth round of drafts, stuff like that. Just he's getting a little too trendy yeah. for my liking. I think you got to project fewer than three hundred fifty plate appearances. That could still get you 13, 14 home runs, but you got to be realistic. Yeah, and a, a league like the NFBC where you have two lineup submissions for, for hitters every week, you can pick your spots with Murphy, maybe a little bit more valuable there, but I agree that people are, you know, you miss out on that first tier, first couple tiers of catcher. You want to you start to panic a little bit, I think, jumping up. There are better guys, yeah. like, there, given where he's going in drafts, there are guys I'd rather roll the dice on than, than Murphy. The Rockies seem to fancy themselves competitors this season, hoping to uh, be good enough to earn a playoff spot. We'll see about that. And and with that mindset, there's been some talk that they could use Jeff Hoffman, fifth in the system, 133 overall in your top 400, out of the bullpen. Uh, what does that do to his development long-term, do you think? I don't really mind it. I think that they, they're obviously – going to continue to develop this guy as a starter I just I don't see any way that they they pull the plug on that anytime soon but moving him to the bullpen for maybe a stretch this season I I I don't think that they would do it for the full season but they could do it uh for a part of the season to help manage his innings and also just help build up his confidence against big league uh big league hitters because he really struggled last year after his promotion I think that in short bursts he could really look dominant and help kind of rebuild his confidence so that he's willing to throw his pitches uh, in any count, and then you can move him back to the rotation. I mean, you look at that depth chart, that that rotation depth chart, he's obviously one of the five most talented starting pitchers they have, so I think he'll be there uh, for more than 50% of the year, but he might he might spend some time in the bullpen. Skipping down the list here in the Rockies system a little ways, Forrest Wall at number nine, he was a guy that, has fallen significantly on the overall top 400. I think he was just inside the top 100 at some point last season. Now outside the top 200 at 211. What is the issues? What are the issues with Wall, and what has led to such a, a big fall down the 
the overall board. If, I mean, if you're a second base prospect, you have to hit, and it's it's kind of like first base, honestly. Where if you're if you're not hitting, you just no longer profile there, unless it's just a really unique situation. Wall, uh, 88 WRC plus last year at High A. He he's still young. He still has intriguing tools with with some speed and uh, you know some scouts still like the hit tool. But I think you gotta. When when you see a second base prospect, you know, fail to even be a league average hitter at a level, it's hard to remain overly optimistic about him going forward. Yeah, I'm with you. Have him in a keeper league, gonna be throwing him back into the pool this season. Skipping down to the Dodgers, this is a, a great system, really, and headed by Cody Bellinger, who you have tenth overall. And we got to see him. He's got that violent uppercut swing with a ton of power from the left side. What what's the hit tool like, and do you think we'll see Bellinger, if not at first base, maybe in the outfield this season? I think we could. I think we. I don't know. It, it depends. Like Adrian Gonzalez can't hit lefties anymore, so I think that's a that's a factor. I think the Dodgers are a team that's that might get realistic about that. I think Darren Ruff, I believe, is a guy that they they have on board that can hit lefties. So maybe that's the answer they go with there. And, and maybe they do use Bellinger in the outfield, but they have plenty of outfielders too. So uh, it would maybe take a guy like Andrew Tolles struggling or uh, maybe an injury to give Bellinger enough at bats to make sense, uh, make for it to make sense for them to promote him before September. Uh, I I've been kind of using uh, Anthony Rizzo comp, at least on the swing, not necessarily on, I don't, I don't think he's going to necessarily turn into Anthony Rizzo, although He's talented enough to to some someday become a top five first baseman for fantasy, but just in terms of he can sell out without it being a below average hit tool. Like he he picks his spots uh, properly when when he chooses to sell out uh, on his pitch. So yeah, like when we saw him in the Fall Stars game, he was clearly selling out. Right, and but he did run into him. It's strategic, yeah. you know. I mean, it's it's selling out with a purpose and yeah. he, and he makes, he makes enough contact otherwise yeah. to where it's not, you're not going to be dealing with a guy like Chris Carter, uh, who's going up there and, and hitting 220. I think he, it might take him a couple seasons. Like I, I would very much caution people against getting too aggressive on Bellinger. If he does get the call this year with, with fab dollars, I mean, you're going to see, Oh, top first base prospect in baseball gets promoted you know, this seems like a good spot to use my money. Like I, I think he could struggle not only this year, but I think he could struggle next year a little bit too. But I think eventually he will settle in as, as a top 10 first baseman for fantasy. Yeah, I think that's wise to point out because you do see that violent uppercut swing. It's like, wow, that guy's kind of up there just looking dead red, kind of just hacking. But he can shorten that swing up when he needs to. Yadier Alvarez, wait, real quick, actually. They just traded a piece from this farm system, and we didn't really get a chance to talk about it. Jose De Leon... Uh, headed over to Tampa Bay for Logan Forsythe. We were talking, and I forget who said it on Twitter. I wish I could give them proper credit, but they you know, said it was a Dodgers beat writer. The Dodgers don't trade elite prospects. They traded Jose de Leon. He's not an elite type of guy, but for I fantasy. Know, was that Bill Shaken? Maybe. I think it might have been. Maybe. But just for fantasy purposes, it seems like with the hype de Leon has gotten in recent seasons, he's kind of being treated still as a – as a hot commodity in keeper leagues, kind of as an elite pitching prospect. Is that not the case? In Yeah, in certain circles, people are still a little too high on him. He, the, the, the 
area where you can get into trouble is just looking at his minor league strikeout rates mm-hmm. and assuming that that's going to carry over against big league hitters. It's just not really the type of profile that is going to be a, a, you know, definitely not a strikeout per inning. Might not even be, uh, you know, eight strikeouts per nine type of guy. He's he only throws in the low nineties. Like he'll he'll sit ninety one, ninety three with his fastball. So he's not throwing gas up there. It's a it's a really nice changeup, but he has to be better at uh, locating his fastball. Uh, against big league hitters in order to to get to that changeup, so uh, yeah, I think I think he's more of a a three, maybe a four, and that's why I have him outside the top fifty, and that's why I think the Twins were really wise to not take that Brian Dozier deal when the, when the Dodgers were only offering De Leon straight up because look, I I don't know what they're going to end up getting for Dozier, but it's just, it wasn't a fair deal in my estimation uh, to take a guy who really might, you know, his ceiling might be a number three. I think with a guy like Dozier, you got to shoot a little bit higher than that. Yeah, I think that's dead on right there. Yadier Alvarez, top 25 prospect in your opinion, 25 uh, on the overall top 400. The the K-minus walk rate, as you point out in this article, from his first full season Stop in the Midwest League, 27.7%. Also allowed just one homer in 39 and a third innings uh, with that affiliate. Pretty impressive stuff. You say here he's got, you know, he's got the repertoire, the size, command, a profile as a future ace. But what are the, the aspects of his game that, that still need to develop? Uh, Not not a lot. He's we're, – we're, I'm a lot higher on him than, than I think most places – I have him as the number three pitching prospect in baseball behind just Alex Reyes and Lucas Giolito. Uh, really, really confident in this guy being able to, you know, I, I think his floor is a uh, number three starter who misses a ton of bats. And I think, like like you said, I think he could be an ace at some point. Really, it's, it's, not, it's kind of unfair to him. My only concern, I guess, is that he's – a Cuban pitcher. I mean, how often do we see Cuban pitchers end up sticking in the rotation? But I think he is unique in the sense that he, he you know, the Dodgers aren't skipping any steps with him. They started <laughs> him at rookie ball last year. They moved him to low A. He's he's going to be 21 this year, and he's going to start the year at high A. So it's not like they're forcing the issue and trying to get him to the big leagues as soon as possible. I think they're they're developing him the right way. Uh, this is a guy that I think you can go out there and target in a lot of leagues right now. If, if someone's looking at uh, – you know, a, a ranking on a different site that's ranking for MLB prospects and maybe not fantasy. Uh, you can maybe get him for a steal right now before this season. But if you wait, I think the the price is going to go up uh, in a big way. You praise the command here in this piece. What kind of grade would you put on the command? Because he had, you know, the walk rate at in the Midwest League was pretty good. It was higher at rookie ball. I'm just kind of wondering, you know, with age relative to level, it can be a little deceiving uh, that, that 2.5 walk per nine. At low A, what kind of command grade do you have? I'd say at least a future 50, maybe even a bit better. Uh, and that's that's saying a lot. I think a lot of the guys that have Alvarez's stuff are behind where he's at when when they're at that stage in their development. You look at a guy like Michael Kopech, who's got nasty, nasty stuff as well. Alvarez has has much better command projection for me than than Kopech right now. I mean that can that can change, but uh, he 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 commands his stuff well enough to to be a no doubt starter for me at this point. 
Alex Verdugo is a guy who has a lot of character concerns. We've seen him. <laughs> we've heard a lot of talk about Verdugo and the fact that he's pissing off teammates. We've heard people in Arizona talking about that. Just kind of a guy that seems to be, you know, he's young, so it's kind of understandable. Seems to just kind of rub the people the wrong way. Lots of like there in terms of tools, though. What are we thinking about Verdugo long term and maybe even this season? Do you think we see him? I don't think we see him this year until maybe September just because you look at the Dodgers' outfield depth. I, I don't see any reason why Verdugo would get the call. And we talked about Bellinger. I mean, I think Bellinger would get the call before Verdugo would if they actually had a an everyday spot for a guy in the outfield. Uh, you know, Verdugo, we've, we've talked on the pod before about his look. It's uh, – not a great look uh <laughs> he's kind of got that look of a guy who might might have seen some things done some things <laughs> i i think the hit tools pretty special it's going to be interesting to see what kind of power comes with that because it just doesn't look like he's running anymore so it's gonna have to be 20 plus homer power i think for him to profile if he doesn't stick in center field so you know i think with a guy with with his kind of hit tool i i felt i had to rank him in the top 50 just given how close he is to the big leagues but it's it's a it's a little bit scary i mean it, it could be kind of billy mckinney-esque where you'd get too excited about the hit tool and then you look if he's not hitting for power if he doesn't hit for more power this year at triple a i think it might be time to get a little bit worried verdugo's the guy i saw his twitter account recently and he had you know locked account about 300 followers uh don't don't build walls let people in alex yeah I mean, I don't what's, want to put too much. Hiding? Yeah, exactly. I don't want to put too much stock into the you know things that can't be easily quanti- I mean, quantified at all, really. But I, I think this narrative has followed him so long, we can't really write this off. Jonathan Singleton never blocked his Twitter account, even when he <laughs> maybe should have. Yeah, he should have. <laughs> I think his like bio is like Carlos Martinez never blocked his Twitter account. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's smart in doing so. I don't know, but at the same time, it's like there's something there where personality maybe just doesn't doesn't mesh well with his teammates right now maybe he matures and finds a lot of major league success but i think that is a a big question mark with verdugo now willie calhoun this guy is a guy whose body type has some some people talking you know we saw him in arizona and he he, yeah i think you said it you know really kind of looks like a, a bowling ball and did he threw out a law michaels comp recently to me off air what was that uh well Lar Michaels compared him, a writer in the industry, compared him to Kirby Puckett, his body. Uh, so imagine Kirby Puckett playing second base. It's not very realistic. I think that Calhoun is one of the better hitting second basemen, if not you know top maybe top two or top three hit, uh, hitting second baseman in all the minors. Probably has the most power of any second baseman. You know, maybe it's between him and like Travis Demerit for the Braves for the most power at the position among among prospects but you got to be able to stick on the field defensively and it's just not clear that he's going to be able to do that i guess he could prove us wrong it's just hard to when a guy's bats that good it's hard to rank him like i couldn't rank him outside the top 100 i'll be honest i had him all over the place in renditions of the top 400 had him outside of it at one point but then i was just like Man, like how many of these guys that are ahead of him 
you know, 10, 20 spots ahead of him. How many of them can, can hit the way he can? So it's, it's just a tough guy to, uh, to peg down. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's a Dan Vogelbach type of situation where we need to wait for him to get traded to an AL club so he can DH. I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, he's, as you say here, quote, a squat pumpkin-shaped body. Uh, but, you know, when we were in Arizona, you know, some of the scouts – you know, they, they mentioned it, of course, but they didn't seem as down on him just generally because of the body as I would have maybe expected. Cause you see this guy, and it's like a guy just came off the street and put on a Dodgers uniform. Mm-hmm. Doesn't look like a ball player, but uh, there are some some tools there to like. Yusniel Diaz, 80th on your top 400, 20th in the, uh, well, 20 years old on opening day. 102 weighted runs created plus, third youngest player in the Cal League last year. What are we looking at with Diaz in terms of ETA and, and possible, you know, possible production yearly at the major league level? Uh, he's probably going to continue to be a one year at a time type of guy. So he might not debut until, you know, late 2018, 2019, but it might be five category production if he can hit enough to hit up high enough in the lineup for that to be the case. Not not a plus power guy, not a plus speed guy, but he could give you maybe a 20, 25 homer year with 10, 15 steals, something like that in, in his peak season. So it's interesting. You know, I think he's his advanced, how advanced he was relative to his level last year is what, what impressed me most. Real quick before we move on, Andrew Tolles still prospect eligible. Saw him quite a bit last year, though. Just inside your top 100 overall here now with with Forsyth coming aboard Toll's probably looking like a guy you know he's looking like a possible leadoff candidate early on but probably stuck in the bottom third of the order even if he is playing regularly in left field which looks like he might but in terms of Toll's 2017 upside what are you seeing well I I admitted that that ranking him 98th is is pretty cowardly on my part because I think he's going to either be a guy that should have been ranked 50 spots higher or a guy that should have been ranked like 100 spots lower. Yeah. It's just not really clear how the much. Proximity of, is huge for fantasy. Right. Obviously. Yeah. It's just not clear how much of what he did last year is going to be sustainable going forward. In, I mean, you'll know if you're in a type of league where he needs to be kept. Uh, I mean, he should probably be, be rostered in most formats, but uh, I don't know. It, it's it's just a really tough type of guy to figure out. I wish he would have lost his prospect status. so I didn't have to rank him because he honestly just came out of absolutely nowhere last year mm-hmm. to, to have the season he had. So it's, it's really hard to say anything with confidence here. Moving on to the Padres, Manuel Margot, number one in the system. No surprise there. Really? Uh, we were doing the show earlier this week. I was doing it with Adam Wolf and we were talking sleepers and I picked Margot as kind of my must have sleeper this season. He's not a sleeper in prospect circles, but 2017 sleeper, good value at his current price. I think you have him higher than a lot of people do. Proximity again factoring in there, but do you think you know he's going to be able to beat out Travis Jankowski from the start and really put together a full season worth of production that really makes a big difference in in mixed leagues? I just don't think it's a competition. Like I, I think Jankowski's battling for playing time in left field. I think Margot is the absolute clear starter and center he projects to be a plus plus defender there he 
is either going to lead off or hit second if Jankowski were to win that, that left field job. He might lead off. Margot might hit second. Either way, he's going to be hitting in one of the top two spots in that lineup all season long. He, I, I just have no idea why the industry is not valuing him more, the prospect industry specifically. like I get it with like single-season players. They're not usually the brightest when it comes to these young guys. But when it comes to guys that are like ranking prospects for a living – like if you have Victor Robles ranked ahead of Manuel Margot, I I just have no idea what you want Margot to be doing right now. He was Victor Robles two years ago, and he hasn't mm-hmm. shown any flaws offensively. He makes a ton of contact. He's got plus plus speed. He's got sneaky power. Petco no longer uh, a wasteland for right-handed power. So I think he he could give you 12, 15 homers there in, you know, a couple of years. He's probably not ready to get to double-digit homers this year, but he could give you 35 steals this year. Uh, I think if he stays healthy, he will give you 35 steals this year. And where you can get him right now, uh the batting average to me is pretty safe. Uh, you know, a lot of the guys that are going around where he's going are guys that have huge flaws in in terms of you know they're just not going to help you in runs or RBI, or they're they're not going to hit for high average. It, he doesn't really have any of those flaws. I, I think that he should be going, you know, at least maybe a hundred spots higher than where he's going right now in ADP. Interesting, yeah. ADP currently, as we talk now, two fifty four point six three has gone as high as one eighty four, and I think a top two hundred spot is where we could see him uh, go come March. Interesting that Hunter Renfro, you have third in the system. You have him, I think, what, 33 spots lower on the overall list. He has a higher ADP currently at 237.7, but his high, high pick is 198. He did make some tangible adjustments to his swing, cutting down on the swing path, which is good to see. I had some some concerns about him, but with those adjustments with his swing, uh, how high has he risen for you in terms of you know, not only this season, but long-term uh, among prospects. I was uh, I was a pretty big Renfro hater uh, pro- probably since he got into pro ball until, you know, towards the end of last year. And just watching his swing, I, I really like it. I, I think that the bigger question is not necessarily the, the swing, it's just, what will he do against big league off-speed stuff? Will he be able to lay off stuff out of the zone? I think that's going to be uh, the biggest key for him. I I think that he could be a, a 30-plus homer guy eventually, but I, I'm I'm just – you know, the, the industry is not all that high on him. I, I ended up moving him down about 10 spots recently on the top 200 just because I think – putting him in the twenties is unnecessary just based on where he's getting valued right now. I I don't think you need to value him that high to own him or to even trade for him right now. So that's why I moved him down. I I think that the proximity factor, it's, it's a big, it's a big thing. I mean, a lot of the guys that are going to be ranked below him, like in two years, if they're where Renfro is like, that'll be a good development. So I think you, you have to factor in the proximity I'm not all in on him yet, but I, I think that the adjustments he made last year are pretty big. Jumping back up one spot, though, ahead of Renfro in the system, Anderson Espinosa, a guy like Margot who came over from the Red Sox organization. You say here he has the potential for 370-grade pitches. 
but he's a long ways off. He's a guy who's not especially close to the big leagues right now. Uh, going to be 19 on opening day. What is his ceiling if, if we're talking fantasy uh, and maybe starting in 2018, 2019? Uh, well, his, in his peak, I think he can be an SP1. Uh not not a lock that he gets there, you know. I think at at this stage in his career, like he compares favorably to where a guy like Julio Tehran was when Tehran was in the lower levels, and everyone was just like, "Oh man, future ace." Uh, might not quite get there, you know. The stature is an issue. He's only six feet tall, but I mean, he he's not a guy where I'm worried about him handling the innings. I'm just maybe a little bit more worried about. Uh, the plane of the fastball and that being an issue. But, yeah, I mean, like you said, the pitches are, are I mean, it's a, it's a monster repertoire that the command needs to come along a little bit. Just just ignore his numbers from last year, though. The ERA, the whip uh, aren't going to necessarily back up what I'm what I'm saying here. But you, you can't you can't be scouting the box score, especially on lower level pitchers. Uh you know, I think you can make a case that this is the number two pitching prospect in baseball. You can make a case he's – I think you certainly have to make a case that he's top five. Um, this is a guy that I might be trying to target if you're in a league where owners aren't as savvy and might look at that ERA and that whip and, and be a little worried. Number four in the system, Cal Quantrill. Now, he fell to number eight to the Padres. And you know, looking at him, he's, he's a guy who turns 22 next week. Uh, he's already had Tommy John surgery, but – if we're looking at the fastball, the changeup, uh, potential in the slider is still coming along. You see the makings of a potential number two here. Yeah, I think he's, you know, I, I like him more than Riley Pint for, for fantasy purposes at least just because he's going to be pitching in, in Petco, and I don't think the arsenal is all that different. He doesn't throw as hard, but the, the secondary stuff has the potential to be just as good. His, his changeup's a monster. Slider could be a third-plus pitch, so – a guy that could move really quickly. I think that they, they're going to be careful this year, just based on you know recently had Tommy John surgery, but could see him in the big leagues in 2018. Luis Urias was a guy that we talked about at the end of last year. He was kind of a guy that was a big riser for you. you say here that a scout once told you that if a player can hit, he can hit for power. And you say follow that up with that's an oversimplification, but with Urias, I mean we've seen the ability to his ability to hit, and you just expect it to be a matter of time before that power shows up. I'm out on a limb on, on Urias. I, I think you could, in certain circles, he might not even rank in someone's top 150. You know, he might even be a borderline top 200 guy for, for certain people. But I just, I'm, I'm so in on the hit tool, and I think it's, it's extremely rare for a player of his age to do what he did at high a i mean he he might have been the best hitter in the entire cal league last year and he was the youngest player in the league i think you you just can't ignore stuff like that he could move i mean he could get to the big leagues before his 21st birthday and you know he's not going to run much but i think he can handle second base and the power like to expect him to already be hitting for power given his stature i think would be it'd be crazy i mean he, he did manage i think five home runs last year which at least tells you he knows how to to barrel it up and get it out. But 
Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm betting pretty heavily on the hit tool here. I think he can be a, a solid number two hitter. I think the the floor is kind of pre 2016 Daniel Murphy, and that's that's still an everyday guy. Another guy in the system that may not have the industry wide hype, but you that you like a lot, Jorge Ona, sixth player in the system inside the top 100 overall. Not a player I know much about. Going to be only 20 on opening day, but what are we looking at in terms of physical skills? Uh, maybe comps with with Ona. He's part of the their July two signing period class from last year that I think might go down as uh, the last great July two signing class in history, given the the changes to the CBA. He draws uh, or AJ Preller, I guess, throughout a Albert Bell comp for his physical stature and and the fact that he's right-handed and projects to have plus raw power and he didn't go as far as to compare him to bell in terms of what he expects from production wise but i think that that's the type of player they're hoping to get a guy that hits for a ton of power from the right side maybe gives you a 270 280 type of average isn't all that great on defense but but it's all about the bat with him i think that he's he's a nice guy to grab later in dynasty drafts this year a lot of young guys heading this system. Fernando Tatis Jr., one of them, 18 years old, uh, 109 overall. He's part of that, that James Shields trade. Getting a, a piece like this for a guy like Shields is a pretty nice move. Preller, kind of a sneaky, slimy guy, but also made <laughs> some it. pretty good moves. I love yeah. it, man. I, I, I love everything he does. Like I, I'm, I'm all about trying to take advantage of any kind of yeah let's uh, just say this i wish he was the reds gm yeah right? like I, if I, if exactly i think yeah. most fans in baseball would trade their gm for for aj preller right now and mm-hmm. you know everyone that's praising the white Sox right now should also remember this trade where yeah. they, they took on <laughs> james shields and gave up a guy who you can make a case for being a top 100 prospect in tatis and he's you know he he Reached the Northwest League last year as a 17-year-old, was an above-average hitter there. He's going to move off shortstop probably to third base, but has enough power projection. He's he's a big enough kid where he should be able to handle third base offensively. He could be a, a huge riser this year heading to low A as an 18-year-old. Yeah, I mean, I wish – yeah, I really am jealous that – you know, I wish, they, I wish they'd fired Preller and the Reds would have brought him in. <laughs> After that suspension, he's not a he's not a Reds type of guy. <laughs> no, not at all. I just think with a guy like that who, yeah, I mean maybe there there's some sketchiness in withholding information, but look, he's he's doing whatever he needs to do to to improve this franchise, and I think he's doing it the right way for the most part. Uh, this rebuild, the the way that they restocked this system after the Trey Turner trade is amazing like Mm -hmm. it's more impressive than what the brewers have done i think like they've just what they did on the international market last year was just insane like they they brought in so much talent just in that july 2 signing class and even if like 60 percent of it doesn't work out if if they just hit on a few of those guys it's going to be it's going to be huge and they they've done really well in terms of the guys they've brought in in trades not even like the headliner, like Javier Guerra is a guy that we're, we're, we, I mean, he's, you can drop him in pretty much all dynasty leagues right now. He was the second piece in that Kimbrel trade 
and and he didn't work out but they they also got a guy in logan allen who did work out i mean he he's a lefty who projects to be a mid-rotation starter i mean they, they just even the low pieces they're getting back in these deals a guy like tatis everyone thought that was just a salary dump and that he was a throw-in at the time and and he blossoms into this legit prospect i mean they're just yeah, they're, they're really doing their right their work on the backfields and the lower low low levels. Yeah, and they know how to play the draft system. You know, guys like Reggie Lawson, Mason Thompson, who they signed to to huge overslot deals this year, all made possible by the fact that they got Hudson Potts to take a well below uh, slot deal. But he's he's looking like a pretty good prospect in his own right. I mean, they're they're just killing it right now. Uh, don't love Josh Naylor, who they they got back from the Marlins, but there wasn't really much to to choose through no. when you're when you're looking at that marlin system so i mean you just take a flyer on a guy like this with with 70 raw power and hope that the the hit tool and the approach improve and i'll just say too if you're going to knock preller or if teams are going to boycott you know communicating and discussing moves with with preller then boycott the cardinals too all right because chris correa yeah. and that Scum. whole yeah <laughs> That's that whole business is a lot sketchier also, than what also Preller pool. If you want to boycott doing business with the Padres, well then you just don't have access to these prospects. Yeah, exactly. And they have the deepest system in baseball. Yeah, even though they're probably not trading from the system, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Uh, Adrian Morjan, anything to you want to throw out here with him? He's got a ton of hype, but he's 17 and he hasn't thrown a professional pitch yet. I mean, a lot of people think he might be kind of the next. Uh, Julio Urias type of guy that that just is a, a super young phenom and, and dominates in the lower levels. That could be the case. You can get aggressive on him if you want to. I just I couldn't rank him in the top 100 just because he's a pitcher who hasn't uh, hasn't thrown a pitch yet. <laughs> Skipping down the list here, Michael Geddes. He was a guy that yeah, the scouts seemed to like his his power and, and speed and just you know the standout tools in the fall league, but you seem to be a little lower on him than most. Is it mainly because of the hit tool? Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, we talked to the same scouts. I, I like the tools as well. I, I didn't talk to any scout that thought he was going to hit enough to get those tools to matter. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, just that the speed and the power do stand out when you watch. Him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think guys like that, are going to find their way to the big leagues in some role. Like even if it's only as a fourth outfielder, uh, you have to rank a guy like that if you're doing a top 400, but not a guy that if you, if you have him on your dynasty league team, he's not a guy you should be counting on for production. Finally, the San Francisco giants, not a lot in this system, only eight prospects you spotlight here and don't want to touch on all these guys, but Tyler Beatty clearly top arm in that system right now. Uh, you know, maybe a guy like Ty uh, Block will get a chance if, if Matt Cain falters, but I think BD will be right, right there in consideration for this season. In that spacious home park, do you see him hitting the ground running and have major, having major league success right out of the gate? Yeah, the the Giants are typically pretty conservative with how they promote guys to the big leagues, starting pitchers. So, I think that they're probably hoping to get through most of this season without using BD and black who you who you mentioned a guy who maybe i'm maybe i'm under underrating just because of how good his command control is like the the arsenal is just not impressive but you know he can paint and maybe that's gonna look silly not having him in the top 400 i do rank him here as the eighth guy but 
you know, he's he's probably a better bet for production this year just because I think that they're going to try to get by as long as they can without forcing the issue with Beattie. But given where he's going to end up pitching, I think he, he projects pretty safely as, like, he'll he'll pitch like a number three. He might not be a true number three, but I think the, the park factors and uh, having a guy like Buster Posey is going to make his production look like a number three starter. And finally here, Brian Reynolds over Christian Royo for the top position player prospect in the system what's the reasoning there just tools i mean arroyo's got a better hit tool and you know maybe if i'm as high on a guy like luis urias i should be higher on a guy like christian arroyo because he's got a a great hit tool too but you know arroyo he's gonna end up moving to third base and you know you gotta hit you gotta hit a lot to make up for not having even average power at third base i look at a guy like colin moran you know maybe Maybe Arroyo can be Martin Prado, but that's, I mean, how often do we see guys come around that, that just hit for a really high average, don't offer a ton else, and are still uh, guys that teams are willing to start every day at third base? It just doesn't happen that often, whereas Brian Reynolds has above average power. You know, he, he didn't really match the scouting report. You know, pre-draft, he was seen as a very safe college bat. He actually ended up striking out quite a, quite a bit in his pro debut, so that's a little concerning, but he, he has enough uh, just just tools and, and five-category potential to give him the edge over a guy like Arroyo. Well, James, we appreciate the insight as always. Again, check us out on Saturday on Rotowire Fantasy Sports Today, our interview with MLB.com's Jim Callis. That'll be good stuff. You can get a free trial, SiriusXM, somehow. Uh, just Google it, for goodness sakes. But also, shout-out to New Day, N-E-U-D-A-E. Appreciate the song, Comb Over. Check them out. We'll be back with you guys next week. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-Blade Razor and Shave Gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire.
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.